morning. Uh, yes, I do want to start off by saying thank you for this opportunity, uh, for the courage of the elders to let me teach, and for your willingness to be here. Uh, when Hansen and I returned to Denmark, um, Lord willing, in May, um, we'll be going back to a small assembly, a uh, church of about 15, and, and we expect that the main focus of uh, my ministry will be teaching. So getting opportunities to teach, and especially while I'm surrounded by uh, godly men and women that can help me in this area, uh, is just a, a thrill and a great uh, a blessing for me and uh, and hopefully for the saints in Denmark when I return. Uh, the uh, passage we're going to look at today mainly is Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. It's on the topic or subject that the Lord has really uh, been working through my life, through these seminary years especially, of being content and what that means and ought to look like for uh, the believer. And so, uh, to start off, I kind of want to ask you guys a question about what pictures come to mind when you think of contentment. And let's see if we can... Uh, I've got to just be thinking, what, what is it that you picture? Because it's going to be very different for each one of them, I'm sure. And I, uh, I won't be able to satisfy all of you, but maybe we'll get a few uh, that uh, like... So, the picture that you think of when contentment, if you're the adventurous type, you like to go out and experience... Uh, uh, different finds exciting experiences. You might think of this. It says here, contentment is finding the perfect campsite after chasing the sun over the horizon. This is a picture that Hansi and I used to enjoy before we had children. <laughs> this is what contentment was. You've had a great day. Um, other of you think that's a little too stressful. So contentment for you is getting away from the daily stresses of life, finding some luxurious vacation spot where you can just relax. As most of you know, Hansi's from the Faroe Islands. On the Faroe Islands, the sun shines, you know, maybe just a handful of times a year. So for them, for the typical Faroese male, contentment's a lot less requiring. If you have a day with the sun, you can take your shirt off and you can sit there with your dog and have something on the grill. You are content and happy. Um, another picture I found that I thought might help uh, us understand contentment for some of us is having a car that's actually paid for in full. Those of you that know Patrick and Rachel, they had one like this. It was about twice as long. So the uh, caption under this picture when I found it was, Contentment makes a poor man rich. Discontentment can make a rich man poor. So thank you. Um, uh, Maybe especially for the younger folks, contentment means just getting alone and being there with your music and getting all the other sounds out. If you like to read... Contentment for you may just be snuggling up on the couch with your favorite book and just letting the time go away. Hopefully, though, for all of us that are married, contentment is being with your loved one and just relaxing. And so the uh, the thoughts that I have here among contentment, uh, we might call pleasure. We'll, We'll, through the sermon, hopefully get a better understanding of what I mean by contentment. But it's something that I think obviously is that something that we all seek for and long for to some degree or another. Seeking contentment and pleasure, I believe, is thoroughly biblical if God is the source of your contentment. And that's what we want to dive in today. I'd like to, in a sense, propose maybe another addition to your New Year's resolution being this, that you truly all believe with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our minds 
that a personal relationship with God, that being intimate with God, is all that we need to be fully content and happy for the rest of eternity. The basis for this is obviously the fact that we serve a sovereign, loving, and almighty God. The song that we sing at camp and at Good News Club often is, Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. And we may sing those songs and and as we hear them now say, Yeah, we, we have no dispute with that, Martin. We agree fully. But yet... The past years, the Lord's just continually convicted me that if I do really believe that our God is an awesome God, what causes me to be discontent on 75 on the way home after seminary class and traffic is all stopped up? What causes me to throw up my hands and start to complain when the internet is down for a full day and a half? How can you live without that? We have so many things here and are so spoiled that we are quick to be discontented when things aren't working the way that we think they ought to. And this is a topic that I think is relevant for every one of us. Um, we could have picked many different texts today to look, and, and as I was starting to prepare, I did have, but uh, decided to focus on Philippians 4. But if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 1, and we'll start just to build up a little bit of a context, uh, hopefully uh, getting us a better idea of what was meant and as we look at the context, I want us to try to pick out and see that the theme of contentment is, is throughout the book, uh, this letter. We're going to ask a few questions. What did it mean when Paul says that he was not in need in Philippians 11? Or how are we to understand that Paul learned to be content? And what does it refer to when he says that he learned the secret? There's some kind of mystery behind learning contentment. So in Philippians um, one, I'd like for us to look here quick at a few verses, maybe just uh, understanding the fact that Paul is writing the, the letter while he's imprisoned with false accusations against him, facing the death penalty. And yet, Philippians 1.12, we read, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Jumping down to verse 18, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul is expressing great joy and rejoicing in the Lord from prison through this letter. It's even more joy than some of the camp uh, postcards we sent home from kids at camp this summer. What is causing him to be able to do that while he's in such harsh and difficult circumstances? If you would, let's look at chapter 2. And um, as has already been mentioned this morning several times. Uh, but uh, let's just read verse 7 and 8. Chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, he says, uh, talk regarding Christ. Here he points to Christ as the example of one who emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We are called to follow Christ's example in being content to leave the riches and the comforts. And as Orvieva mentioned last week, it's just unfathomable to think that Christ, having everything, was willing to do this. Yet, we know he did. And um, verse 14 of chapter 2, 
we're called to, to imitate Christ, saying, doing all these things without grumbling or disputing. And then verse 17 and 18, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, Paul says, um, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Chapter 3, Paul is content to throw everything out, as, as uh, Rabob read the verse 8 there. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of a surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Verse 13 and 14 of chapter 3 give us Paul's goal, and this is going to be important for us to understand how it was that he could be content under such circumstances. Read with me, 3.13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid of hold of it yet, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then the beginning of chapter 4, he, he urges them to be united in harmony. If we're discontent, it's hard to be united and to be uh, praising the Lord because often the source or the result of our discontentment is a focus on us and our inward being. Um, let's see. Okay, so let's go ahead and, and look at our verses here, verse, starting in verse 11. might add that verse 10 here, Paul is thanking the Philippians for a gift that they've sent him while he's in prison. And he's saying that he has great joy in the Lord for receiving this gift. But then he says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. What does it mean for Paul to say here in his circumstances, not that I speak from want or need, some of your versions might say. The word uh, used here is used uh, only one other time in the New Testament, and namely in Mark 12, verse 44, when Christ is, is pointing to the widow who gave the last of her money and put it in the temple offering. He says that she gave out of her, want, or out of her need. It is when you... Um, the condition of lacking that which is essential. So I think it's helpful for us to think about this because so often we use the word need and have no understanding what we mean by that. Or we may, but... So let's see. Uh, Hampton, maybe you can go ahead and use it from now on. I'm not <laughs> capable enough to do both here. But here, um, I thought it'd be helpful to look at, think of things. Need, we have, for example... Um, I might say to Hansi, she's going to the store, what, what, do we need anything? Yeah, well, we need another bucket of bluebell ice cream. And yeah, is that really neat? Well, the, the Lord commands us to be hospitable. How can you be hospitable in Texas without bluebell ice cream? Well, that's not going to cut it. He says, okay. Well, then we might go to wants. What's our want? Well, well, well I mean, truly we need some kind of dessert, don't we, for being hospitable? So maybe just ice cream. It doesn't have to be bluebell. Uh, no, it's still not a, not a need, is it? It's, it's, we have these desires and these wants that we so often throw out and think of as needs. Even though we use the word need and we really think of them as needs, legitimate needs, if we get our focus right, we come to see that they're not always needs. Um, Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, uh, lived during the time when the persecution among the believers began to, to really heat up. 
And, and some of them were uh, complaining and saying, well, in order to buy food, in order to make a living, we're being asked to deny our faith. And so the one quote that I found of him, it says, of a person that's a common complaint, says, well, I have no other way of earning a living. And Tertullian asks, well, must you? Must you live? Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were faced with the opportunity to deny their Lord and then be thrown in the fire, or, or not be thrown in the fire, to live or to be thrown into the fire. They might have easily said, well, we need to deny him in this situation because, no, my brothers and sisters, so many things that we think of and count of as, as needs, for example, just food, clothes, isn't always a need when we put it in perspective of what the Lord requires of us. Uh, Luke 4, the temptation where Jesus is, is led out to the desert. Satan's first temptation was to change this stone into bread, right? Um, and you might say, well, after 40 days of, of not eating, that was a very legitimate need to get some bread, get some sustenance, right? But why didn't Jesus bow to the temptation? The first verse of Luke 4 tells us that the Spirit led Jesus into the desert. And Jesus, recognizing and understanding that he is in the exact place where God wants him, he will not then, therefore, try to avoid the difficulty. And so many times, we'll be in difficult circumstances, and they're going to come this year too, as they did last year, where we will be tempted to try to avoid it and forget that the reason we may be here is because this is where God wants us, and there's something deeper than just meeting our needs that's at stake. I might ask, uh, um, suggest to you that when we think of essential needs, we need to remember to ask, essential needs for what? If our goal in life is to live and be comfortable, then yeah, having internet, high-speed internet may be an essential need. Having ice cream is an essential need if you want to be comfortable all of your life. But if our goal is going to be the same as Paul's goal pointed out in chapter 3, Verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's ultimate goal seems to be clearly proclaiming the gospel as long as he's alive and to be um, in intimate fellowship with his Lord and Savior. And if we have that perspective of needs, then we quickly understand that all we need is Christ. And he is sufficient for us to be content and to have that which we um, need to please him. Second part of verse 11, it says here, For I have learned to be content. When he says learned, it tells me that contentment is not something that's automatic, easy, or natural. Paul learned it, and he had to learn it through certain circumstances. Um, it's interesting that the specific word used here that's translated to be learned literally means self-sufficient. And it was something that the ancient Stoics would use as their goal, to becoming self-sufficient, independent, not in need of anybody else. Then you are content, they would say. Is that what Paul is really telling us? Hardly. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. If you are godly and doing a great job 
of, of following the Lord's commands and that, but you're not content, what are you telling the people around you? I would suggest that godliness without contentment tells people around you that you are serving a God you wish you didn't have to. The other side of coin, though, is if you're just content without godliness, seeking your own pleasures for your own reasons, thinking nothing of the morals and the commandments of God, then you're telling people that your contentment, your happiness is your God and you are serving it above all else. But when we combine it, the godliness, and yet being fully content in serving and following God and obeying Him, then we can learn, as Paul is going to tell us through this passage, to not be dictated by our circumstances as to whether or not we are content and have joy, but that we have an internal source for our contentment. Look with me at verse 12. It says here, or, um, yeah. For I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Some, uh, NIV, I think, says maybe I, I, I know what it is to be poor or to be in humble means. Nat, I think, says I know what it is to experience it. But it seems it's a lot more than just knowing it. Somebody says, yeah, I know what it is to be poor, I know what it is. But do you know what it is to be in those kind of situations and to be content and to be fully satisfied despite not being able to buy what you think, uh, what most people think would, would make you happy? Being content when you're poor um, is actually maybe in many ways easier than when you're rich. I'd like for us... Uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read a, a few lines here from a book that Greg Watson shared with me. So it's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's in our library. It's a Puritan uh, book here, very deep and, and good. It says here, A Christian comes to contentment not so much by adding to what he would have or to what he has, uh, not by adding more to his condition, but rather by subtracting from his desires so as to make his desires and his circumstances even and equal. So if you're poor and, and you have this income level, but you're wanting more, you're, you think it would just be great if I could buy this and get this this year, then I'll be content. You don't know true contentment and you won't find it when you get to that level if you ever were. True contentment for us as believers is by asking God to mold our hearts so that our desires and our wants fit what he has already so graciously supplied. And when you have that balance, then you experience contentment. The marketing business, of course, would help us believe anything but this. You know, the uh, commercials that you've probably seen since Christmas. Now go out and get what you want, because then you will be happy. You're done with having to give everybody something else that they want. You're not going to find contentment there, brothers. Buying what you think is going to bring you contentment will only continually disappoint you. We even have companies like Frito-Lay that tell us that clearly. You can't eat just one. Why? Because it's not going to satisfy you very long. And it's going to keep on growling and you're going to keep on needing more and more and by the end, you'll throw up. (laughs) I'm so glad they only sell them in a certain size bag, right? Think if they sold them in barrels. 
The word here though, that Paul is using also about uh, getting along with humble means is the same one that's used about, when talking about Christ in, in uh, 2.8. But being, uh, he humbled himself. It's not just being poor, uh, economically speaking. It was also exposing himself to humility. And um, again here, as uh, one picture that cop captioned there, contentment will make a poor man rich, and discontentment will make a rich man poor. But Paul did experience having riches and being rich, and he says so. He says he learned to get along in prosperity. And Calvin notes that learning to get along in prosperity is an excellent and rare virtue, much greater than endurance of poverty. Why so? Well, it seems that when you have a lot of wealth and a lot of things, you're quicker to be discontent. Why? Well, there's maybe a lot more things that can go wrong. You have two tires, you've got eight tires, one of them, the chances are one of them is going to go flat is, is a lot bigger than if you just had one car. Um, I remember when we first moved to the States, I, for those of you who don't know, I, I, I grew up moving around a lot, but the first time we moved to the States as a family, I was in uh, sixth grade, and, and just going to Kroger's. And in Denmark, when you go to the grocery store and you go to find your breakfast cereals, you have oatmeal, cornflakes, and then we had one that was a little sweetened, and that was it. Nice and easy. Here, you got a whole aisle of just, well, you want double dip, you want cocoa pops, you want fruit loops. I mean, my goodness, it's enough to stress you out. But all of these choices, and at first it's such a thrill, you enjoy getting to try all the different ones. And then you find your favorite. And then you get up one morning for breakfast, you've got oatmeal, but the fruit loops, they're gone. My goodness. You know, you're discontented all of a sudden because you had riches and then now all of a sudden you, you don't. Or you may um, have a harder time just, just knowing whether or not you're content because of the things that you have or because you really are enjoying true fellowship with God. So I encourage you, maybe pray that God would reveal to you what it is that you're holding on to tightly to the point that if he were to take it away, you would not be content. Now, I'm not talking about um, the fact that we can't experience grief and sorrow. Obviously, those things are very natural and biblical. But I'm talking about what it is that gets you to get up in the morning and be joyful. If that is based on certain things that you have or situations, circumstances, then you haven't experienced true contentment or what we call Christian contentment. Um, Paul says here, uh, getting along in humble means and also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry and both having abundance and suffering needs. In any and every circumstance. Some of us have a higher pain tolerance than others. And you might be able to say, okay, there's this affliction in my life, and, but I'm, I'm resolved to be content. I'm not going to complain. But at the same time, you're thinking, it's only going to last this long, and so I've been sick before, I can handle this. Your contentment may be more based on the fact that you have strength enough to do it for this while. But in any and every circumstance means that even if I have to live with this for the rest of my life, I can be content. Or we might think, okay, there's this affliction in, in, in this area of my life, but at least I've got all these other good things that are going on, and, and therefore I will rejoice. No, brothers. Afflictions seldom come alone. 
and we are not to put on limits to say, okay, this is what I'm going to be content with, and if this happens, then any and every circumstance, Paul says, and I believe he meant it, in that whatever happens. And as, as he mentions in his circumstances, also just the fluctuating circumstances that his life went through, and that yours and I probably will too. He was, um, he learned the secret. It's interesting that this word here, translated the verb to be, um, or to learn the secret, is a technical term, and it says here, referred to um, sacred rituals that someone would go through in order to enter uh, mysterious religions. It's kind of like going through certain trials and, or, or, or things that you have to go to to get the inside information, be part of the inner group, learning what it is to be content. And it seems there that Paul is then saying that he's learned it, but it also seems that he's learned it because he's in Christ. He has a relationship with Christ, and that is where um, the secret is. Why is it considered a secret? Because too often we look for contentment in the wrong places. We look for it in our works or um, in our education. At seminary, I, I uh, said to say so many times here, People say, well, this sure is a, a tough semester and, and um, to be honest with you, hating going to seminary, but once I graduate and get into full-time ministry, then it'll be enjoyable. Some of you may think, well, uh, this, this job is, is not paying near what I want, but once I get that promotion, then, then I'll know contentment and, and, and be happy. Uh, our family, we might have certain circumstances that we imagine. If these circumstances were changed, then we would be able to really enjoy Family life. Uh, and our health. I'm thankful to have great health. But if God were to restrict me with bad health, would I still be content? Well, sometimes we might think, well, okay, we have to experience it before we can say it and, and be, be confident that we will be. Well, we don't have to as believers because Jesus is our all in all. And he is sufficient. We have the testimony of the word. And we have saints that also can testify from every end of the spectrum uh, in trials and, and afflictions and circumstances. I um, wanted to mention a song that we've uh, sung a lot at Good News Club this semester. It's, uh, yeah, Jesus, you are my all in all. And one week when we were singing it after uh, over at Mark Twain, I asked the kids, if Jesus is our all in all, what do we need? What else do we need? Was the question. And little Melanie, a kindergartner, quickly raised her hand, didn't wait for me to say okay. She just said, nothing! And that's so true. Jesus is our all in all. We need nothing else. Again, because our goal is not just to survive, not just to be comfortable. Our goal ought to be, as Paul's is, to know Jesus above all else. The result of learning contentment, verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is one of those verses that we often take out of context, isn't it? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As we get together maybe in the Christian uh, locker rooms of, of different sports teams, we remind your players, we can do all things through him who strengthens us, right? As, we, as, as if that's what we mean. Or... 
in a business meeting, if you want to tap on a verse there at the end, we can do all things this year through him who strengthens us. Let's not forget the context that Paul is saying this in. He's in prison. He's suffering what we would consider horrible circumstances. But he can do all things, meaning that he can be in that pit and be content, be rejoicing, as he did with Silas in, the, uh, in Philippi, in jail there. Praising the Lord up to midnight. And there is a, a neat thing to notice as when the doors open, the opportunity so arrived that Paul could have escaped, he chose not to because he knew he was where God wanted him to be. And may we, like him, not be interested in just seeking the quick out of our afflictions or circumstances, but be willing to follow Christ if he should lead us into the desert to uh, fast or starve. He says, I can do all things through him. Here again, a clear reference to Christ who strengthens him. Some of the later uh, manuscripts actually put in Christ, through Christ, just to make it more explicitly. But it's only through Christ that we will be able to face this year and truly be content no matter what our circumstances are. It's interesting to me that he says he strengthens me, meaning that he gives us a strength to endure it. It's not like he somehow puts a, a glass wall around us so that it looks like we're in the circumstances, but we're really not feeling the pain. The pain is very real. The tears are real. The joys are real. The feeling, it's not about getting this stoic idea of contentment where we just have no emotions and, and nobody can affect us either way. If you're like that and you think, well, I'm content, I don't complain much, well, chances are you may just be as content when you ought not to be, when there's sin and you're going on or unrighteousness and God's name is being defamed. Contentment is seeking Christ and getting the strength from him to endure, to go through these very real afflictions, just like Paul did. So, uh, in concluding, I kind of want to just wrap this up, but also make it a little personal. I've uh, been asked to do that. And one of the things that contentment does not look like is loving the temporal things of this world. Okay? If, if what you enjoy is to take a luxurious vacation, that's fine. But if you're going to that place to seek contentment, you're going to be disappointed. When I, um, shortly after I became a believer, I was about 13 years old, I had a strong desire um, to be like my youth pastor, to go into the full-time ministry. He went to DTS, and that's where I wanted to go, and that's where I wanted to be um, uh, doing the rest of my life. When we came to seminary, I had a strong desire that we would go and be in the full-time ministry in some third-world country. Mostly, our thoughts were headed towards Mexico. And I struggled because I said, well, is it because I enjoy the warmer climate than Denmark? Uh, are my motives right? Is it because I just love the excitement of living in a third-world country where not everything's as predictable as in, in our country or in Denmark? I wasn't sure, but I found out when I um, um, ran into uh, some brethren brothers in, in Denmark that started talking to me more and more about the priesthood of the believers and that fact that we should all be participating in serving the Lord. And that, at first, when I heard that, it scared me because I thought, "Well, wait." So does that mean my whole idea of being, 
you know, full-time, like the, the pastor of some church being paid is, is, is not biblical. And, and I started to realize that my contentment, my desire to go and serve wasn't so much just to be content. Was, I wasn't being focused on just being content in Christ. It was in the position of, of being in some kind of ministry and having this kind of recognition or, or um, authority. I don't know. But maybe also my desires were to go to a third world country and not to Denmark because Denmark being about 88 or 80% atheistic and agnostic, I realized going there, people aren't going to be near as excited to hear the word of God. It's cold. It's dark. Can I really be content going back to that kind of place? Well, thankfully, God has worked on my heart, and through these years at seminary, we've come to realize that there's good reasons that we think that God wants us to go back to Denmark and to minister. Whether it be full-time or whether it be from the assembly line of factories that I might be able to get jobs at. Wherever you're at, though, you can learn to be content. And we're resolved to be that. So loving the temporal things of this world, it's not just the material things, it's status, position that you're in at work, your education, your marriage. Um, so, again, I just urge you, when you go out to purchase new things, if you need a new car or something every so often in order to feel content, then your content and sourcement of content is falsely placed. I've already mentioned the second one here about outward quietness. Contentment, true contentment is not just being calm on the outside. It's as Bob mentioned the first hour. It's an attitude. It's an inward disposition and desire and joy that's independent of the circumstances around you. What does contentment look like? It gives us, and it is, the freedom from the sense of need. The freedom that when you see something that you want, but yet can't afford it, you're not agonized over it. You're not tempted to use a credit card just to swipe it and say, I want to be comfortable now. If we were truly content in Christ... We might ask ourselves, would we have such a thing as credit card debt? There's nothing that seems to take more contentment away than having to pay interest on that kind of thing, right? Okay, so you won't admit it. All right. Well, contentment is also the freedom from being dictated by your circumstances, as I've repeatedly said. Paul even says in uh, Philippians 4.17, because he's in this part of the letter where he's thanking them for the gift. He says, but it's not out of need that I'm thanking you. And in verse 17 he says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. This freedom that he has gained because he's found his contentment in Christ allows him to not have to write this letter as some kind of fundraising letter, seeking more money, seeking more gifts, but just simply expressing his joy in receiving the gift but yet also explaining to them that I am just as joyful before I receive the gift as I am now. But maybe even so, a little more now because of the profit that increases to your account, he says. And as, as a family going out to Denmark, desiring to do ministry and going to a small assembly that can't support us, this brings me great peace and joy too. Because we're not going to wait till May and find out can... Do we have support to go? Can we, can we go or not? Or if we go, are we going to be able to, am I going to be able to use the things I've learned? We will go and be content with what the Lord provides. 
And this is my encouragement for you all also. And whatever that you desire to do, to go forth and experience the freedom and independence from your circumstances. It's the freedom to worship and serve. As I mentioned earlier, being discontent a lot of times is when we're focused on ourselves. It's about me. Things aren't working the way I wanted them to work. It's not um, turning out the way I want it. I'm not as healthy as I want to be, and, and so therefore I can't do what I want to do. Blah, 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 I, I, me, you. It, it's so focused on your inwards that you can't think of the needs of others. You can't put needs of others ahead of your own because you're occupied with your own. And the natural outflowing of being content in your sovereign God ought to be worship. Come together praising Him on the sunny days as well as on the rainy days. It's the endurance and joy amidst affliction. So, what will this year bring us? None of us knows. It may be another tough year, another tougher year than the year past. But, one thing we can know, that in Christ and in seeking Him alone for our joy and contentment and pleasure, we can with confidence go forth, knowing that whatever this time ahead of us brings, we can experience a continual praising of the Lord and joy. As the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Why is it well with my soul? Because Christ is able to carry me through this and he is with me. He has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. And his promises will remain true until he returns and brings us all home to glory. Are you saying right now, this is difficult to hear because I think if I don't get a job in the next month or if I don't get this, if I don't start getting healthier soon, I will not be able to face this year and continue to rejoice as Paul calls me. Well, I'm not saying it's easy. And it is, as Paul mentioned, the secret to be learned, but it's one that we can encourage each other as a body to strive for and to seek with all of our hearts and strength as we focus on him. Finding true contentment, though, it's also um, only found one place. Remember Jesus in John 4, as he's talking to the Samaritan woman, says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'm offering, a spring of living water will well up within you, leading to eternal life, and they will never thirst again. I encourage us to seek that living water. Some of us have already got it, but yet we're still showing our uh, discontentment by searching for a little more extra contentment here and there rather than just willing from the fountain of life within us. Others of us, some of you may be continually trying to satisfy your needs here and there, trying to get happiness and pleasure from different sources, and you will continually be content. There's nothing sadder, I think, 
And to watch someone continually try to make their way up the ladder of what they consider success. And as they reach the top, experience and notice, recognizing that they were climbing up the wrong ladder for the wrong reasons. Be resolved today to start this year out subtracting whatever it is that's keeping you from knowing true contentment in Christ. Because it's only found in one place. And one picture that might explain it, because I can't say what it means to you. Does it mean changing your retirement plans or selling certain possessions? I can't say. There's no picture to explain what it means except the cross. And it's not in the cross, but it's in the person, the blameless, sinless Savior who died on the cross that you will find true contentment. It is in knowing him and the joy of his presence that will not just bring you contentment in this life, but draw you in to eternal contentment and joy in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, awesome God, precious Savior, Beautiful Savior, thank you. Thank you for giving us a hope and a joy of being able to face tomorrow because you live. God, I pray that we as a church body would be willing to lay aside all the false sources of contentment that we have been drinking from. I pray that you would forgive us for being unfaithful to you And that you would help us to seek contentment and pleasure and joy with all of our hearts, souls and mind in you alone. May we be able to proclaim with Paul, for me to live is Christ all of my life and for me to die is gain. So that no matter what this year will bring us, we will be able to continually praise you, continually rejoice in that which you provide for us, be it much or little, and in that which you bring us through, be it hard or easy. God, thank you for sending Christ. We praise you and thank you that he was willing to humble himself and be obedient to death on a cross and thereby providing forgiveness for all who would trust in him. I pray that anybody here who has not trusted in him would turn to him alone and experience the abundant life that Christ has come to provide. In Jesus' name, amen.